0: Welcome to episode 11 of the Sideline Hustle Podcast. Let's rock. This is probably the most important episode that we've ever produced as we talk about the process of building team culture, the most crucial job of every football coach, and the foundation for every team's success or failure. Joining us today is former Maryland head coach Ralph Friedgen, Don Bosco prep head coach Mike Thiel, Miami Dolphins wide receiver Leontay Carew and former Rutgers quarterback Gary Nova as we break down the methods and philosophies behind building a winning culture.
1: You know, I always have to laugh when these coaches get a job, they say they're going to come in and change the culture. You don't think the guy before you was was going to change the culture too? You know, a lot of it depends on the players. Of course, it's what you demand that they do, but culture is how you relate to kids too. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the guy that followed me, and you know, he he was going to change the culture, and where'd that get him? I never mentioned changing the culture or any of that stuff. I mean, you do what you're going to do, and you might say it to your staff, but you don't say it out public. I, I don't I don't think that's what do you want to demean somebody else for. I, I just that's not how I operate.
0: It's because you're a class you're you're a class act, coach.
1: I don't know about that. I just I don't <laughs> think that the uh, the guy that thought, that I followed. I mean my my first meeting with the team. I met with him by myself, and, and Loxley and uh, Franklin were upset. They were two guys that were kind of holdovers, and I got up, and I said, you know, I went to school here also, and I said, I had three different head coaches, so I know exactly how you guys feel. I said, I said, right now, the big question in your mind is, Am I going to get rid of all you guys and bring in my guys? For Am I going to go with what we got here? I said I'm 53 years old. I ain't got time to wait around. I said, we're all Terps, and let's go to work. Everybody reach. Everybody reach.
2: Everybody reach.
0: What's going on, everybody? This is your host Drew Lieberman. What up? This is Gary nova your everyday quarterback, and you are now listening to the Sideline Hustle Podcast. Here's two guys: one guy who coached in the Big Ten, and one guy who played in the Big Ten, talking about their experiences. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, you did do a good job of getting rid of the football.
2: I Man, mean, no, yeah. I'm sometimes so i got
0: rid of it to other teams. Right. <laughs> right, but like, right, right. <laughs> right. 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 From the sidelines, we got to hustle because we got to eat. From the sidelines, we got some goals that we still got to reach. Really what I wanted to talk about was just your process as a head coach of building a team, creating culture, creating togetherness, creating discipline, all the things that you value that you think makes a team successful and just talk about how you went about building that.
1: Well, you know, I think it first starts with recruiting. This is Ralph Regent, former head coach at the University of Maryland. You know, I think when you recruit kids, I think you obviously are looking for the type of individuals that, you know, are going to fit into your culture. And to me, you know, I would rely a lot on players that we had, you know, their input into, you know, whether the kid would be able to fit into our demands and what we expect and really our expectation. The other thing I think in recruiting, I think it's very important to establish trust. Trust in the, in the player, but also trust in the coach. Because I, I don't think you can have any, any good relationship without trust. And once you break that trust, then, you know, the relationship is never the same. It, it can heal, but it, it will never be as strong as it once was. So I think the trust is really important. And I think you have to gain the trust of the parents, the guardians, whoever that is. And then once you get the kid, you know, on campus, if you have that relationship, you know, then you can set forth the rules that you have. And the demands that you have. What are the core values that you want to instill
0: in your players? That if if nothing else was instilled in them, what are those those core values that you want to see represented by your players? This is something
2: that I thought a lot about, especially uh, transitioning into being a head coach in a program that I had coached in as as a coordinator. That was probably as as a head coach. That was probably the hardest thing to come up with. What's up, guys? This is Mike Teal, head football coach at Don Bosco Prep High School, former. Ruckers and Seattle Seahawks quarterback? You don't want to have 20 things, but you don't want to have one thing. You want to have things that have meaning to what your program is. You know, ultimately, what, what I came up with, with the help of my staff, it wasn't all just me, and I think that's the other thing that's important is you get input from your entire staff of, of what are we? Who are we? What do we want to be? You know, I think I, I have a vision for what I want the program to be, and ultimately, it's my job for, for that vision to come to fruition, but you need to have in, input from the other guys to really have an idea of, of where everyone is uh, and the things that we came up with we really came up with three things that we could put on a shirt that we could have posters around our facility they could see every day when they're going to a meeting room and you know the first one was attention to detail and that holds true through everything the details are what wins your games the lack of details is what loses your games and you know you, you preach it and you talk about it, but when you're gonna do something, you've gotta do it the right way. And the the thing is, you know, the attention to detail, we talk about when we run and We condition right hand touch touch the line with your hand and you've got to monitor that every single day because it's the day you don't and the day someone gets away with it. Now they're going to try to push the line a little bit more and Mm -hmm. you can't let that happen. So as a staff, you've got to be committed to paying attention to the details. It's exactly what it says. Attention to detail. Every little thing matters, whether it's cleaning the meeting room when you're leaving to go out to practice or whether it's making sure the locker room's cleaned at the end of the night. You have to make sure that the details are what's stressed. And as a staff and as a coach, it can get tiring sometimes, but you have to be able to to lock in and you have to be
1: able to push the players to pay attention to the details because that's ultimately what's gonna win your game. If you have a rule, if you have a drug policy and you have three positives and third positive, you're done. What I used to do is uh, on the second positive, I would call the parents and say, hey look, the next positive, he he loses the scholarship and I'm gonna test them from here on out. And if if you back off of that, you can never go, you, you know, you've lost something. You've lost the discipline. You right. gave into the discipline, right. and so they're never going to respect that from you again. So you, when you have a rule, you, no matter how hard it's going to hurt the team, or maybe you may even love the kid, but you know, a rule is a rule, and you got to go with it, and if you're not consistent there, then I think you Don't hurt your culture. The second one we came up with was do your job. again simple.
2: All you have to do is your job. Don't do anything more. Don't do anything less. You know, I talk to my coaches all the time about stressing that to the players. Situational football, doing two-minute drills today. The only one responsible for the down distance in the huddle is the center. The center tells the huddle, what the down distance is. The quarterback sees it from the side and he gets the play. You know, So we stopped today in the middle of practice and I asked the right guard what was the down distance and he had to look over the chain. And the center didn't give what the down and distance was. So it's a perfect example of doing your job. Your job yep. is to give the down and distance in a huddle. It might sound like it's something little but that's what your job is. Do it the best that you can. The thing that I tell the team and more so when I was the offensive coordinator and only the offensive coordinator is to be Successful on offense, you have to have eleven guys doing what they're supposed to do every play. On defense, you might be able to get away with with seven or eight doing it right, and then you know one guy just makes a spectacular play, and you're able to, to live with it. But nine times out of ten on offense, if you don't have every guy doing your job, if you're if you're running inside zone, or you don't have the front side calls where you've got a single and you got to be on the backside, and your combinations are going to the right backers, if you don't have that, play's not going to be successful. Yeah. yeah. So, so there there there's a team sense and and really what makes football the best sport in my opinion what makes football the best sport in the world is it takes every player on the team to be successful and it takes every player on the team to go on the road and win a game whether you're the the First starter on the on the field, or, or whether you're the 53rd guy on the travel roster, it takes every one of those guys to go win the game, and and that's what's unique, and that's what makes football so great, and that's what teaches so many great lessons, is because of all that stuff. And basketball, you go out with five guys, you got a stud, and you got a shot, you know. Okay. Soccer, probably the same way. I, I can't speak to it. I don't know enough about it, but I know in football it takes every player on the field at one time to do their job the right way. The third one that we came up with was protect the team. So I think this is my favorite because it has a multitude of meanings. Protect the team is everything from being in class and not sitting in the front row, to not doing your homework, to not having the right pair of shorts on at practice, to not doing the right thing in the classroom in a meeting, to not doing the right thing on the field. Everything that you do, you're responsible to protect the football team. I will not do anything that would put the team in jeopardy. You are not allowed to do anything that's gonna put the team in jeopardy. And for the players, they, they have to understand that fooling around in class is, is putting the team in jeopardy because it's painting a negative light on the football team. You know, there's not one player, one coach, one person that's bigger than a team. That's what makes football so great. So with that being said, our job as an organization, as a program, is to protect that, protect the team. That's what we're supposed to do.
0: When I took over the wide receivers here at Wesleyan, I thought back to, you know, I I, I thought I think Ben and Campy were both really good wide receivers coaches in their own for their own reasons. And I thought back like, what what do I want to take from those guys to instill in my room? And what do I think the most important things are? How am I going to do it? What, what did I see that worked? What didn't work? And like, I spent an entire summer just thinking about the way I wanted to run my position room. And then obviously throughout the season, it continues to change and your values change as you get to know the kids or your focuses change as you get to know the kids. And it's, it's, it's a very fluid process, but I'm not sure there's anything more important in coaching than, than creating a culture and, and upholding it.
2: And that's the thing, you know, the hardest part is over the course of the season, there's going to be things that change. But what can be constant? And I'm a really firm believer in in consistency, not only for the kids, but also for the coaches. You know, if if I'm a coach and I know on Sundays I'm game planning first and second down, and on Mondays, I'm doing third down and red zone. Then I can prepare to get myself ready for that. But if, as, as the head coach, if I walk in on Sunday and say, guys, we're doing the whole game plan today. Let's go. It's not going to be effective because they're, they're ready to, to game plan first and second down. And that's, that's what, that's what we're doing. That's how it's done. That there's consistency to it week in and week out. And the thing with the three things that we, we kind of came up with is it's consistent all the way through. Now we'll have, we'll have our weekly big three and our weekly weekly goals that we'll have based on who we're playing and what we're doing and all that but attention to detail do your job protect the team that'll be the mantra for for the entire season. You know, I, I, ho- I hope it'll be the mantra
0: for as long as I'm the head coach. No, that's interesting. And, and something you touched on too that I feel like is overlooked a little bit in creating culture. I don't even know if it's creating culture, but just just to, to run a good football program is that consistency. Like you said, like giving players a routine they can rely on and feel comfortable with and like master in a way. Same with coaches, you know, like here's my weekly routine. Let me get better at that routine every week rather than let me be prepared for a totally new routine. Well, you're not going to be as good at that new way of doing things than you are if, if it's consistent every week and you can do things the same way and just get better at that way of doing things. I think that's an interesting interesting point.
2: Yeah, I was one of the things as a player I took from Coach and when, when he was a head coach at Rutgers was having a consistent schedule. You know, something as little as getting to the hotel whether you played on the road or you played at home on Friday afternoon, the second you got off the bus, you went right to dinner. That that's just what you knew. You know, and it, there was a comfort in whether I was doing it in New Brunswick or I was doing it in in Morgantown, West Virginia. The time, the second I got off the bus after getting to the to the city, we went and had dinner, and it was always like that. So it didn't matter if I was in. You know, New Jersey, or I was in California playing in a bowl game. We knew that's what the schedule was.
0: So I actually just wrote a paper in my psychology class about the process of building team culture, and I looked at like actually, you know, I read some like real psychological articles and stuff. And essentially, they, they did this study on ten Division One coaches of all sports, and and just talked about how they build culture, or whatever. And they, they basically came up with three values, three different types of values that they try to establish. And it's the first is relationship values, and that's your ability to relate to the kids and have them feel comfortable around you, and they were talking about how that is the number one first most important value that you must establish because the kids have to trust you and love you and know that you trust them and love them before they're going to buy in.
1: If he doesn't have trust in the coach then he's not going to play real hard for him. or when it gets really tough to lay it on the line you know when it's 95 degrees and it's the fourth quarter and you're hurting and it becomes a gut check a, ma- a matter of wills who's going to will to win this game and who's going to give in well the ones that have the trust you know they're Gonna fight harder for you.
0: And then the second one was strategic values, which is like, all right, here, here's the way we're gonna run this play. Here's the technique I want you to play with, like the things that are gonna help you win games from a strategy standpoint, instilling those values in them and the third and they said probably the most influential was behavioral values which is you know having a good attitude work ethic carrying yourself a certain way respect and they were talking and they basically broke it down into team culture is created through those
1: three those three sets of values the culture you know one of being accountable and doing what you're told to do and being responsible and then the culture of being strong and tough and in condition and doing the right thing, making the right choices. You know, I had a character education program where I actually hired uh, Kevin Glover, who was a former NFL player, and for 15 years, when he got out, he also was, he was an agent for a while. So, you know, he got a pretty good idea of what it took to be in the NFL. But he also he was really a high character person, and it was a course that had like 70 topics, and we we did it with our freshmen and our sophomores, and we never went more than 40 minutes, and it was more of a topic type thing: uh, date rape, uh, drugs, alcohol. Yeah. We had all these topics, and he, he wouldn't let me go to it because he thought I inhibited the kids. So it was kind of like he would ask questions, and they would respond. It would be more like a discussion. You know, I felt, I felt a lot of the kids benefited from that. And really, there was some really emotional—I remember we had one on fatherhood, and— uh, he was, came in and told me about it and he said, you know, that I think we had 18 kids there and there were like 13 of the 18 kids were from single-parent homes. And, uh, and we had one kid who was on our team who had fathered two children while he was in college. He was talking about fatherhood and what it meant. And then he said that he and his brother were dropped off at an aunt's house. He had never met his mother and he was playing football so he could play in the NFL and his mother would recognize him and he'd finally get to meet his mother and I mean Kevin was telling you know there there wasn't a dry eye in the room so I think in a lot of these situations it's not only an educational thing it's a therapeutic thing I mean some of these things are deep down need to come out so you know, when you when you start talking about culture, I mean, you know, most people think, well, you you know, the discipline, this and that, but I think culture is, you know, it's, it's everything. I mean, it's how you how you expect your players to act in all situations. You know, I used to tell my wife she did a heck of a job of raising my three daughters because I was hardly ever around, and she said, well, you, you know, you may not have been around, but they knew what what you expected, and it's the same with your players. You understand what I'm saying? If you have enough trust and enough Enough respect, and you, you, they know what you expect out of them, then for the most part, you know, they're going to screw up their 18 to twenty year old kids. They'll, they'll make a mistake here and then, but they need to learn from that mistake. Now, if they made three mistakes, they were gone. But I usually yeah. allowed one or two, and, and then, you know, they, they'd have a penalty with it. But, you know, once they served the penalty, it was over and done, and let's move on. And yeah, right. Most of the kids did that, you know, but if it, it happened over and over again, no, then he wasn't learning.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like the biggest way, like a lot of what you're talking about, the biggest way to just really build a strong culture and, and unity is starts with you with the coaches really caring for the kids,
1: right? You and know. communicating with them, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. And just treating them, treating I think them as, once, as adults. I
1: did it when I was at Rutgers. I done it, I did it when I was in the NFL. I always bring people in. Like you know, I talked to every kid on offense when I went to Rutgers. Right, and because right. I, because I hadn't recruited the kids, and you know I wanted to know you know a little bit of their background. I wanted to know what their what their academic goals were, what their academic background was, what their family background was, so where where'd they see themselves as a football player, how important was football to them, and what kind of hobbies they had, what kind of girlfriends they had. I remember talking to Leante, and he told me told that story about you know why he ended up going to Bosco because he you know we went to that picnic and met that woman and yep. live with yep. the family. I thought that was just unbelievable story.
3: I remember, uh, like it was yesterday, I was in 6th grade in Jersey, actually in the tri-state area. They have this, this show called MSG Varsity. Yo, yeah, what's up? It's Leontae Carew, Miami Dolphins, Rutgers legend, and you're listening to the Sideline Hustle. And uh, I remember seeing Bosco playing Bergen, like one of the Bosco classic, Bosco Bergen classic football games. And I remember watching him on TV and I see Coach Toe screaming at the refs, screaming at the players. And like just seems so passionate about football and they're on TV and I'm like, wow, like, you know, uh, I would love to go to a school like that. And I remember I'm telling my mom about Don Bosco and she's like, what, what the heck is a Don Bosco? Like she's, she's laughing at me, not paying any attention to me. And then one day she signed me up for the football camp and uh you know the football camp is obviously where i met gary and everybody at and then i got accepted into the school and i passed the co-op exam and things like that and now my mom was like wow now now the difficult part starts like how do i get you to school every day uh when you're a freshman at bosco there's there's a cookout you know like a barbecue that the parents and the coaches they all have for you so that the parents and the players when you're freshmen, could all meet each other. The Yankovich family at the time, they had just moved to Jersey. They're at, they're originally from Altoona, Pennsylvania, and they just moved to Jersey, so they barely knew anyone. You know, me and my mom are from Edison, which is like an hour and 15 minutes away, and we barely know anyone. I'm sitting there with my mom and Allison Yankovich, who who I call my mom to this day, She she's sitting there by herself, and, and her and my mom kind of just look at each other like, Hey, like, let's sit next to each other, and they start, you know, talking. And my mom says, you know, we're from Edison. It's, you know, it's an hour and fifteen minutes away. Leonty just got accepted into the school, and and Allison, she says, you know, we live in Ramsey, and we're from Pittsburgh. We barely know anyone either. And they start sharing stories with each other, and kind of to break the ice between uh, each other. Allison goes, well, if Leontay, uh wants any time, he can he he can stay with us anytime he's tired or anything. So you know my mom she wasn't gonna just give me up that easily and uh so from about september to january i would say my freshman year at bosco me and my mom was driving back and forth you know every single day waking up at in the morning. uh, Yeah, and things kind of got, you know, a little rough. I actually had a meeting with Coach uh, Nunzio, who was the athletic director and offensive coordinator at Bosco at the time. Also Coach Toll, and I was actually going to transfer. You know, things were just hard, you know, waking up at 4.30. Just the dedication as a 13-year-old almost seemed like it wasn't worth it. It was just too hard on both of us. My mom, she she remembered the Yankovic family, and she sent her a phone call, sent her a message, and, and they were speaking on the phone and uh mrs Yang goes you know who who am i to mess up the kid's dream it was his dream to go to this school and it's not like we don't have the space you know we would love to have leonce come stay with us and my mom started crying on the phone and from there was history and you know i called them mom and dad and you know, they had three kids, three kids of their own: Emily, Mike, and Danny. I call, you know, Mike and Dan, my brother and my sister, my brothers, and, and I call Emily my sister. And you know, I still talk to them every single day. And back in 2008, I started staying with them, and you know, they're still family to this day. You
1: know, it's kind of like this hope in the world when you see things like that. You know, I mean, really, you know, and, and look what and look what it did for Leonta. I mean, he made go on the boss so who knows what's going to happen? Obviously, the relationship there was, and the relationship. They they still have is because of the trust and the love they have and that's that's to me what you, what you have to have in a, in a, a good culture with the kids kids don't mind discipline as long as they, they understand why and they they know you care for them it's just you know, like raising your children I mean you, you gotta discipline them too but that doesn't mean you don't care for them you get so many kids that are afraid to tell you the truth I'd rather hear the truth I heard bad news but the truth then lie to me. And then I find out you lied to me. And then, then we've now we're working on our trust. You know what I'm saying? I think the thing that's overlooked in football a lot
0: is like the whole time I was doing all this research, I was like, man, the position coaches are the keys to creating this culture, at least at the division one level, because they're the ones that have to establish the relationship value. And they're the ones that the players need to be able to trust in and rely in for that consistency and, and that mentorship. And then they're not going to buy into the strategic or the behavioral values unless they feel like they have a great relationship with their positional coach. And they don't necessarily have to have that relationship with the head coach because the head coach can be kind of the overseer, the figurehead, and, and lay out the vision. But that positional coach needs to be able to relate to his players. Otherwise, I don't know if you can establish culture if that's not the case.
2: Yeah, The hard part in high school is if you look at a college coaching staff, position coaches in college, that's all they do. They're made making- them enough money to provide for their families and make a living. In high school, you've got coaches that are teachers, that are police officers, that are, you know, whatever they do in, in their 9-to-5 job and are able to kind of fudge your schedule around during football season. So you don't have necessarily the, the time that you would as a, as a position coach in college to be with the kids. Yes, we meet every day. But a lot of the coaches are showing up right on time. We start meetings at 3 o'clock, they're showing up at 2.55 and going right into the meetings. So, yes, there, there definitely is a, a trust and a, a respect that has to be developed between the players and the coaches in, in the position rooms. But in high school, I think the head coach is a lot more involved in that than it would be in college. You know, in college... There were times where you know when we were working you don't see the head coach for for two or three days no doubt you know from lifts weight room stuff to to whatever it is and at at first i i thought about kind of trying to keep the strength coach and letting him have it and it's his baby and it's his thing but in high school, the head coach has to be around. You have to be there. You have to, as much, just show
0: up so the kids see that that you're there and you're watching them work because that's building trust. That's interesting. It's a great it's a great difference that you brought up. Is that. I think kind of the things I was just talking about—the the position coach being so important—is definitely particular to Division One football. Because even Division Three football, there's coaches like you were saying that practice starts at four. They're showing up at three thirty and just barely figuring out what's in what are we, what we're installing today, and then they're out in the field just trying to do their job. But I think it's definitely more of a thing with the positional coaches when you're at the D1 level. My
2: fear as the coordinator as the play caller or as the head coach you know the offensive side of the balls i i send the scripts out to the position coaches early in the day so they can comb through the script and find anything that that might blow their mind they're not ready for it happened a, a couple times when i first got got to high school was that you know i, I just kind of came up with something and threw it out there And i know exactly what i want it to be and it makes sense if you follow the rules of the system but it's not something that you talked about. And all of a sudden you're, you're out there and the kids have no idea what's going on. That's the absolute worst thing. That, going back to the culture, that instills a little bit of doubt with the players. If a coach doesn't have an answer on the field and the player sees that, so well, all right, should I trust what he's telling me? So what I, what I tell my coaches is that no matter what happens on the field, the coordinator is right. If we need to debate it, in, in the in the meeting after the fact then we'll do that but on the field we can't debate each other because the second that happens the players feel it and they start to they start to lose trust in what you're doing from a program standpoint
3: you know i, I look at bosco i look at even college and i look at the nfl is like you know everybody comes from a different background you know like when i got to bosco you know i was a kid from edison a lot of people were from bergen county you know and all these different. Counties in in New Jersey. Then when you get to Rutgers, you got guys from different states, and and you know uh, then you get to NFL, and you guys you got people from all over, and it's like you know you kind of like you know what, what Coach Ant taught me at such a young age is just like you know you you'll earn people's respect by just being a grinder and being tough and working hard, and then holding other people accountable. When you start with yourself first, then other people will follow, and then you're able to lead, and you're able to do things differently. And when I got to Bosco, you know I could I can honestly say I was. I was a 13 year old, 14 year old, like you know, little boy, and and Coach Ant made me make a decision every single day that you were you were either going to get better and you were going to be tough, or you were gonna you were just going to quit. And he made quitting actually not an option. And to this day, you know, there's there's times where you wake up and you're like, you know, man, I don't feel like working out or man, I don't feel like going to practice. But then you think of like people like Coach Ant, who's just you just seen the the mentality that he just instilled in you as a as a 13 year old little boy that you just it just clicks in your head and you're like, I'm still that same kid that just grinded every single day and got me to this point of, of where I'm at. You know, I, I actually, you know, people talk about, you know, your parents and, and teammates and, and, and things like that, that that helped you get to this to this level, but you know, Coach Chan played a humongous role in my life, huge, 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 huge role in my life to get me where I'm at because of all the things he instilled in me as a little kid that I still kind of, you know, carry over to this day, you know, just hard work, dedication, just mental toughness, and just, you know, caring about others, you know, uh, you know, just that that's my whole, whole philosophy, you know, if, if I'm going to grind, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not doing it for myself, I'm doing it for my teammates, I'm, I'm trying to make my family proud and all my teammates and all my friends proud as well, and, and that's something and that coach and just, just always instilled in you as a kid and, and uh you know, a guy who just truly loves football, who just, you know, every single day, you know, when you when you stepped on that field at Bosco, he just made you he, he made you want to quit, but at the same time, he also put it in you where you weren't gonna quit because you didn't want to let anyone down.
0: That when you talked about building a team culture, it's a very like collective environment where you're sacrificing your own needs and you're sacrificing your own wants and desires for the good of the team and you're putting the team first. But then when you talk about creating a great player, like a great individual player, a lot of times it's the exact opposite. Like when you're trying to become a great player, you're highlighting all the things that make you stand out and the things that make you different and the things that set you apart from everyone else and the things that make you great. And I think there's a bit of a struggle there where like you have to allow players to be themselves and believe in themselves and be different and kind of almost be like selfish at times so that they can get the best out of themselves. But then at the same time, you also they also have to be putting the team first in everything they do. And I think that's an interesting dynamic. Like you see all the time, like a guy like Odell Beckham, who is a great player, obviously has incredible value to the team, but doesn't seem like he's ultimately bought into the culture that the Giants are trying to establish. And it seems like he gets away with a lot of things because he's so talented. You know, talk to me just about dealing with that dichotomy and and how you, how you handle a situation like that.
2: That, That's the hard part with with high school football and really even college football, because you see the way, you know, some of the, the elite players in the NFL handle their business or, or, go about their career as a teammate and there's no bigger piece of football in my opinion than than the team if the team isn't bought into what you're doing if the players aren't bought into what they're what what you're telling them to do you're not going to be successful but on top of that there's also there there needs to be a selfish component to it in the sense that I'm going to be the best player that I can be. You know, I want to be the best recruited player I can be as a high school kid, and I want to go play at the highest level of college football I can go play. So there's got to be a selfishness to it. But what the culture of the team has to say is that it's team first. You know, you're going to have opportunities if you do everything that the team asks you to do. You'll have opportunities to then grow and shine in your own light because that's what the team is providing the team provides the platform and if we do it as a team you'll be able to separate yourself as an individual through the team's success and you know what i always tell the players is you know the, the guys who win the in trophies or the guys who win the mvps of the super bowls aren't guys on losing teams they're they're guys who their teams win their teams are good their teams compete you know, when's the last time you saw a Heisen Trophy winner of a, of a five and five football team? You know yeah. I don't know. I don't know when it was. I, I guarantee you though that the guys that have won the the trophy are on good football teams, and there's a reason
0: why. Day one at Maryland, what were the rules that you set and, and why and what you're hoping to build with them, like kind of what you based your program off of?
1: Well you know, I, you know I put all the rules in the playbook, and it, I didn't have a whole bunch of rules. You know I had to go to class. You know, I think I allowed them three cuts. You know, that, that was it. They yeah. were penalized if they didn't, they cut class. I would tell them at times that if your training was on, that was no drinking, no beer, you know, obviously no drugs. But there'd be times I, you know, after a big win or even after a dis- disappointing loss, I'd say, hey, I'm going to take training off tonight. Just, you know, behave yourself. To start the winter workout, winter program, when they come back from fall semester and after the bowl game, I took everybody in the auditorium and I had, I think I had like eight captains, and we had a draft, and everybody was there, okay? And the draft, we were gonna have these teams, and it wasn't just weightlifting or uh, winter workouts, or, you know, there there were points given every day, but there were also points given for class attendance. If everybody in the team went to class, they got 10 points. If one guy missed, they lost two points. What the start of it was, you might have some good players but they were academic problems, you know? So they'd be the last guy's pick. And the reward was, if you won the points at the end of spring semester, the winner got dinner at my house. I cooked a bunch of steaks and whatever on the grill. And then you didn't have to pass the fall test. So that was the motivation. The, the, The
0: conditioning test?
1: Yeah. But what it told you was... The kids were kind of telling you, just like you had a regular pickup game. The kids knew who the the, the slackers were. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And it kind of and it kind of said something to them too. This is this is how your teammates think of you. You know. Now some of my coaches, they were saying, you know, it's kind of embarrassing to be the last guy picked. I said, well, you know, maybe they will learn something from that. The other thing I saw from it, they, you know, kids would get into it, and then they'd be calling kids up to get them to class. You know, if they knew they had a guy that was, you know, was going to be a, a problem, if they had somebody with them they they tutored themselves you know so you, you had to get a whole bunch of things I got it from Gary Patterson at, at TCU and I I liked it I liked the way it worked because what I saw was the interaction of the players and now you're starting to build the leadership you know you talk about culture well your culture is only as good as your leadership and and I think you can build leadership I think if you have a young team you always say well we don't have any leaders well you, you better make some like to me I really
0: think in a, in a football program that's the job of the leaders on the team that's the job of the best players to practice a certain way, to run your route a certain way, to do the things that coaches are asking. Like if you want the whole team to buy in, your best players better be bought in, your leaders better be bought in, and especially you know your starting quarterback better be doing things that way. Talk to me about your, your mindset having that role.
2: I think the, the way that I was always able to do it is, especially early on in, in any player's career, specifically a quarterback, is to play with passion and to have passion and love for what you're doing. I remember when I was a I was a freshman and a, a redshirt freshman and a redshirt sophomore so I was young but I had been around the guys for a little while I still there was a kid who was playing before me as a redshirt freshman so it was hard for me to kind of speak up and you know kind of be the vocal leader that that you expect you know a quarterback to be but what I was going to do is I wasn't the strongest, I wasn't the fastest, but I was going to work as hard as I possibly could. And teammates see that. You may not be, you know, benching 500 pounds, but if, if you're working as hard as you can every single day, there's a respect that comes from that. You know, as a player, that that's what you want. You want your teammates' respect. And when when you gain their respect, then. You can start to enforce what you want to enforce, and you know I think as as a head coach or as a as a coordinator, you have to have a pretty good understanding of of your players, your leaders, because if they're enforcing different values from what your culture is, then you're in trouble. Uh, so it's important uh, uh, when players come in to show them and teach them what you want your culture to be, and then it's the player's responsibility to enforce that culture. You know I can talk until I'm blue in the face, but if my if my senior captains aren't speaking the same language and doing the same things i'm
1: doing then you know we're wasting each other's time
0: so how did you talk to me about the process of that Like, how, how would you teach guys how to lead and, and teach guys to be leaders
1: you know you've got to put people in leadership positions and see how they handle it i think the more responsibility you can give the kids to how they handle it and and you can do that in a, in a lot of different ways i mean Sometimes I would take a kid and I would say, okay, this this is your freshman. How he does, if he doesn't do well, I'm coming to you. And usually I picked the kid I thought was pretty responsible. And, and then sometimes you got to see how well they accepted that. I try to make it if, if I'm giving this responsibility, then I think pretty highly of you. Plus, it would put a little pressure on the freshman because he's just coming in and he's got a senior who's, his big buddy, and he knows his big buddy could run if he doesn't do good. So he don't want to let the big buddy down. So you kind of work a two ends against the middle, yeah. you know. And then what happened a lot of times is that they get real close, and so right. now you're building that bond again. You know, at a team meeting, I might say, hey, you know, we need to give a hand to so and so because his freshman, you know, did this this week. He got two A's and you know made all his classes and had a great week of practice, you know, and so. Mm-hmm. So you, now you start identifying the kids that are doing good. I never said to the guy that wasn't doing good, I just said, hey, he gets another D, you're running. Right, and right. a lot of times they end up tutoring them. They find somebody to tutor the kid, you know, not that we didn't have tutors, but obviously they weren't working. When you bring kids in to talk to them, you talk to them about, you know, are you a leader or a follower? That also needs to be done when you're recruiting. You know, I went to the, the Peach Bowl this year and um, one of my former players is coaching the offensive line there, Brent Key, And I, I had had a chance to visit with Brent. I said, you know, how's recruiting going? He goes, you know, coach, recruiting here is a little different At Alabama. And he said, you know, we kind of get in on all the top players in the country. He said, when we walk in the door, you know, we're going to probably get a visit. It's very rare we don't get a visit. But then Coach Saban tells us, can this guy fit in our room? Is he he like us? Does he want to be great? You know what I'm saying? Does he want to work? So ultimately, even though here they are, they can get to all those five star guys and they may not recruit five star guys. but if if they like that kid and what he's about, they're gonna recruit that kid because they think he's he has intangibles that's gonna make him a really good player. I thought that was pretty interesting.
0: That is interesting and that's all that's really all that because they have access to everyone, that's really all they, they base it off of. I just remember being in a meeting
2: on the third floor in the football building at Rutgers as a senior. I think it was spring ball my senior year, and Coachiano had about ten of us up there, and it was a pretty good ten: the McCordy twins, Kenny Britt, Ray Rice, myself, Jeremy Zuffa. So it was my it was going in, it was my junior year going into my junior year. Um, Eric Foster. We had NFL football. It was ten of us.
0: Literally, everyone everyone you just named plays in the NFL.
2: Yeah, basically it was a room full of future. NFL players and really what Coach said was and I'll never forget it on the offensive side you know he was concerned that we were kind of getting complacent so on the offensive side, the only two guys I really feel that love the game right now were me and Kenny. He said that because we came out to practice every day with a, with an urgency, with a with a want to get better. And we didn't really go through the motions. I knew that you know, I was talented, but I wasn't the most talented. I had to come to work every single day. And on the defensive side, you know, it was like Devin and Jason and Cordy Green maybe were the only three that came out every day to to get better and you know I think especially as leaders and especially as older players on the team you know your job is to come out and, and love the game and play the game as hard as you can and and I'll never forget sitting in that meeting and him saying that and that was probably one of my proudest moments as a player because I was recognized by our head coach for loving the game, ultimately. I loved to play football. I loved everything about it. I loved being out there with my teammates. I loved practicing. I loved working at it, and I think ultimately it burnt me out as a player because I put my whole heart and soul into it. But to be honored like that, and be right re- not even honored, just to be recognized like that, one of the more gratifying things I've ever had as a, as a player.
0: And it's so simple. It's such a simple concept. Like. Love- Love the game but not a lot of guys know how to do that every day it's hard It not everyone can it
2: it it is hard to love the game because not every day is going to be good not every day is going to be easy but you've got to find a way to to be out there i always thought what's the alternative sitting sitting in you know in a class or, or doing something i didn't want to be doing it was probably the the downfall of my playing career to be honest because At some point, you know, you just can't do it anymore. And uh, it's the thing that impresses me so much about the, you know, the Tom Brady's or when Peyton was playing, the Peyton Manning's those guys. I was in New England. I saw Tom do it every single day. And that was six years ago now. And he had been doing it for five years before that or 10 years before that. To have that drive and that ability to wake up every day and put your heart and soul into it every single day is it's hard and it's impressive to see those guys do that for that long. Uh,
0: sit back, don't cope, let it go. And that's all we've got for episode number 11 of the Sideline Hustle podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, for giving us your time. If you're a fan of this podcast and you don't follow us on social media, you need to get on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook right now, search Sideline Hustle, and check us out. We're posting content daily on all three platforms. We launched our new project called Teach Tapes last week, where we break down film and give detailed coaching points about the nuances of the game in about 30 to 60 second clips. We're also posting stories and sound bites from members of the Sideline Hustle team on Instagram and Twitter that have never been heard before on this podcast. Definitely some stuff that you won't want to miss. Again, that's at Sideline Hustle on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Over the next few weeks, we plan to produce episodes about the coaching carousel and how coaches find jobs. We'll talk more about recruiting as that becomes the main focus for most programs across the country, and we'll share some stories about our experiences playing and coaching in bowl games. If there's anything that we haven't covered that you would like to hear on the podcast, DM me on Twitter or Instagram, or go to the sidelinehustle.com. scroll to the bottom of the page, click contact us to send me an email. Other than that, stay tuned for some new content on all our social media platforms. Happy Monday, everyone, and I will see you next week.
3: Uh, check it. Uh, step on the track and feel the rhythm running like a relay. Now slang a rock, but when I got the rock, I ball like PK. Open your mind to the world and the finer things. Ain't talking about them big chains and the diamond rings. Been plotting this scheme back when I was 15. I'm talking big dreams. Get up on that big screen. See, hip hop got a lot of good and bad genes. Laying on the deathbed, but I got the vaccine. that's That's like gotta get my fucking cash right.